Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We thought we just messing around till we met that man in the thorny crown. It taught us that tricks and mischief leads to Satan. So from now on, there's no misbehaving. Okay. My legal team saying that? Cool. I'll follow the rules, right? Wrong! My legal team, listen up, because I'm done with you. I will not be threatened. I will not be intimidated. And certainly, I will not be silenced! Welcome to the Banjo College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Paul, uh, joined by my fellow comrades, Andrew Stevens and Brian Scott Rippey. Fellas, how we doing? Sane, barely. Worse than yesterday. Probably going to be worse tomorrow, though. Okay. Groundhog Day. I wake up and hustle for as many freelancing opportunities as possible, eat some lunch, Sit here, do some podcasts. Pretty much every day is the same. I realized for the last three days, I didn't actually leave my house. I went to run, but uh, my car hasn't moved in quite a while. Yeah, the uh, I I was meaning to bring my car into the shop um, in March and uh, just got around to it because I think I've put 50 miles on my car since then. <laughs> it is, uh, you, are, you are speaking right now with... Uh, you would call three millennials and therefore three very underemployed human beings suckling at the teat of the government dole. Thank you, one Senator Bernie Sanders, for our increased uh, unemployment bucks. But uh, we're here to talk about how uh, maybe some schools are not reporting on coronavirus correctly and what that is going to mean for this world of college football because um, – I have never been one, and by no means is it going to start today, will give Jeremy Pruitt the benefit of the doubt. And so I want to know what sort of Rona suppression is going on in Knoxville, Tennessee. They've got everything going on there. No Corona. They're the ones that have been the most kind of like actual tangibly outgoing on all of the protests and everything. And I know we'll get to that in a little bit, but yeah, I don't know what's going on. Either everyone's lying or some case, some places have handled this terribly and other places have handled this well. Or we just – none of us know anything and we're just going to see how many we show up with on September 6th or whatever. When you combine all of that with uh, their recent success in recruiting, it goes back to the number one rule about recruiting, that the most effective tool is lying. Uh, so <laughs> if it comes out that Tennessee has been lying, it doesn't matter. All the goodwill has been built up already. 
the only good thing that Jeremy Pruitt has ever done was attempting to run me over with his car in uh, May of 2015 in Athens. Um, I was trying to get to a summer class and he was trying to get uh, apparently through my legs. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't really know um, what's going on. I, I haven't heard anything. So I'm in Baton Rouge, but went to Georgia. And so I haven't really heard anything about either of those schools reporting anything positive or negative in terms of coronavirus. KP, I know that there's been, there's got to be at least a dozen now Bama players. I know there were at least five confirmed a couple weeks ago. Um, Texas is back in, by back, I mean, back on campus and has a lot of coronavirus on campus. Um, but I, I have absolutely no idea what's going on right now. Yeah, uh, Brian, how is it in Oxford? Uh, is Ole Miss, are uh, they reporting a lot of corona? Has it been radio silence? I know Lane just got there, so it's a little difficult uh, if to find out. I have, what's up? Like they reported two and one staffer when they first got back, and then they caught an additional one or two. Uh, when they, like they tested them at home and then tested them again when they got here. Um, and so they reported two, and then there was a dispute last week over two more. So if those are remotely like accurate, then it's actually been pretty good. But again, who the hell knows? But uh, no major, I guess, whatever you want to define major as outbreak around here on these parts yet. Yeah, the um, I am extremely wary about what we are leading towards because people have been. I want to. I don't want to say bold, but like they they've been certain in proclamations of like, let well we got to just wait and see what happens. And it's like I could be wrong here, but like we're not going to get a vaccine within the next 100 days. What you do in terms of like flattening the curve, obviously you want to stay below the carrying capacity of hospitals so they don't get overrun, and you don't want. I mean, you want as few people to get this as possible. But like you, you're you're running into a situation now where the reason you flatten the curve, quote unquote, is to buy yourself more time to amp up infrastructure. You want more PPE. You want to be able to um, move nurses and doctors around if that's something that that you actually need to do. Um, you want to be able to actually increase coronavirus testing. You want to be able to increase contact tracing. But when you sit around with your thumb up your ass for three months because you have half of the country that says that, and it's got to be more than half of college football based on where we grew up and where we currently live. Um, but but w- when none of that happens, I'm not confident that in 100 days from now, we are going to have any more information other than don't be a dickhead, wear a mask, and like m- maybe you'll die less fast if you're standing outside as opposed to inside. Is there yeah, a world I, I think where it all boils down to, like you said, Andrew, the only thing we know is that we should wear a mask. Uh, There's really no concrete information uh, that hasn't been disproved within 48 hours (laughs) that we've gotten throughout this entire time. Remember that nine-minute stretch stretch when I was going to come visit New York because asymptomatic people couldn't couldn't, uh, transmit it to each other, and then uh, the World Health Organization lied? That was a magical half episode of I Think You Should Leave. Um, But... (laughs) But but basically, if we look, here's the thing. If you're going to bars, I, I don't think you're that smart of a person. But if you're going to be inside of a crowded bar, wear a mask and uh, people won't judge you as hard, I guess. Uh, 
just put masks on people. That's it. We're not going to people in the bars are going to be those that are going to be judging people without masks. Sorry, Rip. Uh, that's right. Is that a possibility where y'all live? And I guess it's a little easier to navigate in a smaller town. But I've been out a couple times here since first time. I just wanted to check it out to see what it's like. But like when you say bar here, like normal bars where you're always standing around and, you know, honestly becomes a mosh pit, they're all tables. And so you have to sit at the table with your group and you're not allowed to get up. So they come to you. So like, like, like I, when you say like crowded bars, obviously that seems dumb, but like here, they're not allowing that to happen. Like you have to stay seated the entire time when you're the, in the establishment and they brought tables in everywhere. Are there places where y'all are at where you can go and just roam? So I have not been to like a non-grocery, like I've done a couple of protests, but like I've not been to a non-grocery store type function. Oh, like, like I've been to, I've been to like one or two like buddies houses that like I know have been smart about it, but no, like I, I haven't been out, but they have right now we're in whatever goddamn phase of this. I, I want to say maybe we're starting phase two right now in Baton Rouge, but like it, it, Phase one was patio seating and I want to say 25% inside capacity. And so the places I would drive by, like they weren't really enforcing it on the patio, but it's also not really places that like lend itself to you hanging out or talking to people that you didn't already go there with. And so that I, I don't have a really a good basis to operate on, but like they're talking about, I want to say going to again, phase two, phase, whatever it is, is going to be 50% is the next one. And so I know that like the, the LSU bars are open. And if I know fucking anything about those bars, they are not doing it. Literally, they are doing the government bare minimum to not kill people. Right. But KP, KP, how is it up in, up in New York right now? I mean, I know you're, I know you're not in the middle of the thick of it, but it can't be ideal. It, it, it's it's actually pretty funny because while I'm not in the thick of it, I am absolutely in the thick of it living out in Queens. Um, obviously, Manhattan gets all the attention, but I'm pretty sure Queens was the worst per capita um, out, of, <laughs> out of any specific county in the uh, country. But uh, personally, I'm doing fine. I I don't know if I ever had it, but I tested negative about a month ago and haven't done anything since then, uh, which I'm very fortunate for. Uh, but in terms of New York, like nothing's really open, uh, at least in Queens. Uh, I go to the grocery store and I don't really go anywhere else. Uh, it's pretty exciting, yeah. uh, but <laughs> that's about I it. I don't want to be, I, again, I really hate the like the shtick of like, oh, dude, I think I was patient zero. Like, and, and there's, there's a, a large, there's a large swath of like, oh, I've definitely had it. And I think that's a lot of people kind of justifying just their behavior and being reckless right now because they want to assume that they've had it. I, I really like one, I, I can't, I, I might be able to get a coronavirus test here. I can't fucking find an antibody test anywhere. And like, I'm, I'm interested to see if I would test or I, if I have the antibodies, because I was, I was at Mardi Gras, which was like right around the time things were getting bad and right outside of Queens, I think New Orleans was one of those uh, big time hotspots. Absolutely. Lovely international, <laughs> lovely international city we have down here. But I, so I, 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 I was in New Orleans from Friday to like actual Fat Tuesday. I left on like Mardi Gras day to drive back to Baton Rouge and I was fine for a week. And then the week I got like, so I guess 
the Monday after, so six days later, I had like over 101 fever, like headaches, uh, a little bit of a cough, but not too bad. And like, again, it could have been uh, drinking and drugs for four days that that do things like that. But I would have imagined that would have hit me a little bit quicker than, than a week after. And so um, I don't think I had it and I'm not operating as if I did, but I'm definitely interested to see if I were able to fucking get my hands on one of those those golden antibody tests. Yeah. Would not be episode one or probably episode 100 for us without a tech issue. So cutting back in here, um, we left off kind of saying that I think we are in a situation where we're probably just going to barrel ahead into whatever we're like the only thing that i can see right now is legitimately the school saying at this point might as well keep them around each other and get that herd immunity up like if 13 players at texas have already tested positive that means probably a quarter of the team already has it and once you're there like you either need to shut down the season now but if you are not going to shut down the season like you are actually playing the herd immunity card absolutely moronic but i i have no idea how they plan to justify this and at this point are you any i don't know i'm genuinely asking are you any safer sending them back home yeah i i, I really don't know see here's the i mean just like what we touched on earlier we're supposed to learn more about this right now but like i don't feel like i i don't feel more informed now than i did like two weeks after it started. Like I kind of read up on everything and was like, all right, these are the precautions you need to take. Like, it looks like it's kind of serious and we're going to kind of be in this shit until we have a vaccine. But good Lord, I, I have no idea uh, other, other than us just saying we are inevitably bar- barreling towards uh, herd immunity being the only solution. I'm not sure how you tell unpaid college kids that you're supposed to stay here and, and continue to work out. It's going to be a case where um, coaches on their at their Monday press conference they'll say something like, you know, my number one job is to protect these young men, and you know, giving out their medical history or just like exposing them or making their private lives public is something I'm not interested in. They're going to use privacy as a cover up uh, when half the team is positive or has tested positive um, for coronavirus, and then. And then you'll see a star player sit out a week with a phantom injury. They'll see he got a concussion in practice or something along those lines, and he's sitting out this week uh, when in actuality he has COVID-19. That's going to be the case around the country. And personally, I think we should just start preparing for that because there's no way they don't have the season at this point. And the other side of this that sometimes gets lost in this, and this is not justifying like flying in the face of safety or whatever, but I imagine most of these 18 to 21-year-old football players who have played football their entire lives want to play football. And now there's some that probably have reser- reservations about it, I'm sure just naturally. But, like, if I were in those shoes thinking about to my 19-year-old self, like, I would want to play if at all possible. And, like, if I was like, well, even if I get it, if it's not going to seriously compromise immune system, like, I feel like my 19-year-old me, if I had that kind of athletic ability and wanted to play football, I just feel like I would kind of have an attitude, a little bit more reckless attitude. And I wonder what the consensus is amongst, like, I guess the hundreds or thousands of players is about playing versus safety. See, the interesting part there is I think that might just be a 19-year-old attitude. 
Like yeah. I'm taking this, I'm taking this extremely seriously now. Granted, I'm 26 now, and so I I have uh, a couple years removed. But I I can't say that in college, like if I were still living in Athens, that I wouldn't have been a fucking dumbass about this. Like, and it wouldn't have even been flying in the safe. Or I mean, it would have been flying in the face of of data, but it wouldn't have even been. I don't care if I get sick. Like, like it would have been completely selfish in, oh, I don't give a shit if I get sick. Like not, not being able to recognize that other, like, it's not about you getting sick, you idiot. And so I think a lot of this is back to what KP was saying. You're going to have these coaches that are going to quote unquote defend the, like when they, when they say we are not going to discuss these, these young men's private lives and stuff like that. I get it, but the problem is that's not actually what, like, they are going to do that to defend the name of the university that has essentially called them back. They are going to defend their job because they need to stay employed. They're going to indirectly defend the NCAA who forces unpaid kids back to Texas because I, I, or or back to school, because I think y'all saw um, one of those Texas players was like, they pay my scholarship. When they say you show up to campus, you show up to campus. And so like, the problem is we're going to end up in this situation where you have coaches that are like advocating for the best of the player, but it's like, you got to go and save these kids from themselves. Like you have to tell them like, these are the risks. These are the potential long-term implications. Like don't fucking go to the apartment pool in the middle of the summer in Oxford or in Baton Rouge or in Athens, because I know you're bored as shit and there's nothing else to do, but like sit with your roommates and play video games. Like if you are going out, have a mask on. And like, I, I, we, we touched on this a little bit earlier with Jeremy Pruitt, but like, it's shocking that he might be more on the forefront than, than some other coaches. And we were talking about this in our group text. It's interesting to see not only, not only in the, the protests and the, the racial injustice and stuff, but like who has open lines of communications with their players, because I think this really ties into what the Gundy stuff is like. I don't think, Coach O or maybe even Kirby or a guy like Saban needs to go out and make these overt public statements because I think their players know that there isn't that barrier or that friction in terms of a lot of these issues. Maybe some of them do need to like rapidly change and improve and get better. But for the most part, I I would imagine that a lot of these things in terms of coronavirus, like I I would feel mo- most comfortable as a player and as someone sending my kid to play for a coach in terms of the like like I would look at the racial injustice stuff and I would look at the coronavirus stuff in the same way like are do you have the interest of my kid or me in mind and like are you going to be overt about supporting black lives matter are you going to protect me from myself are you going to protect my teammates and those that you've called back to campus sorry i just got rambly there um all right one last tech issue we are going to all throw our computers out the window if we have another one but we want to let you know this is exactly how the podcast is going to be running until we decide to stop it kp go um my my one point was that a lot of people uh they feel like they're maybe losing daylight. So for guys like us, you know, we've been out of school for a few years um, and we just think, oh, canceled season or limited season, that's fine, whatever, we'll have one next year. But if you're a current student and especially a current student athlete, uh, at the Power Five level, you're really only guaranteed anywhere between 48 and 60 of these games uh, throughout your whole career, which seems like a lot, but as we know, is actually not that much. 
uh, we kind of all wish we had more. So if you feel like that's kind of being taken away from you, um, like we said, that 19-year-old mentality is really going to jump out. Um, people will uh, they will take risks that they probably should not take in order to have a football season. Uh, like I know if you just took my junior year away from me in terms of a college football season, I'd be uh, furious. Uh, so I can't imagine what kids now are thinking along those lines. Well, can you dangle that in front of them as far as like taking precautions as well? You could. Like, you, you're talking about you don't could. Let take all the because you don't want to miss two games of tape going into your junior or senior year or whatever, or perhaps more than that. Or if the whole team has an outbreak, canceled games and stuff yeah, you, like that. You, you could, like you you could, could handle that, that in front of them in terms of – You know, the problem is right now, like – and, I mean, this was touching on the herd immunity point earlier – you probably have athletes around the country that are saying, let me just get it now. So I don't have to miss any time in the season. Like that's how, like that's legitimately how messed up this entire situation is where a, a, a peak performance 19 year old would say, yeah, I'd rather have uh, the flu or a little like a light pneumonia now. So not, not only do I not have that in the season, but I don't have to do all of the things surrounding that in the season or the precautions around it. If you're one of the 15 guys at Texas right now and you're asymptomatic, there's definitely a part of you that like, okay, thank God I got this now. Oh, I don't even think a part. I think, I, again, I would love, I would have loved to have already had it right now because it means it wouldn't have been that bad. But again, I, I don't think that's the case. And so, yeah, I, I really, the problem with this is we could have this discussion every week from now until and the, we, we could have had this discussion for the last 14 weeks and we can probably have it for the next. And so it's not that like, I, I want to get us off this point, but I, I really am wondering, like at the end of the day, what is going to have to, like, are we past a point of no return? What are we going to have to see for us to either a, like make the definitive step in yes, football is absolutely happening as normal or like, like what is the day that Gene Smith or whoever is at Ohio state or, 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 or uh, McGarity at Georgia has to make the call like we're doing 20% we're doing full capacity when is that decision made it, it all into this, July yeah all this boils down to the fact that there's not really any one person in charge of college football uh so you kind of have a situation sort of like, god I hate to tie history back. wait Mary Scott Mary Scott is not in charge of college football <laughs> so he, so you kind of it's sort of like right after the revolutionary war when you know the 13 colonies basically became 13 separate countries and it's like you have the big 10 as one nation the sec as one nation and even within that the individual schools um, are all operating on their own timelines so there's in a sport like college football when there are 130 um, FBS teams, and then you add that to the hundreds of FCS and then D2 and D3 schools. Uh, and the fact that there's no uniform policy from one place to the next, <laughs> when you're talking about 400 football playing institutions, uh, that these are the problems that will obviously arise from a situation that's chaotic. So those decisions will... And to put a bow on if we're being completely real, like in terms of playing the season, the money's made the decision for them. Because it would be such a catastrophe for so many other places, so many other sports, if there's no football. To me, the decision on playing has been made, just whether or not people are watching per in person. Yeah, I um, from 
I have a non, uh, a, a let's say one degree or two degrees of separation source to people inside the LSU football program. And it's, it's essentially echoed that from two different people. It's been, we have not worked out the logistics on what is going on in the stands, but as far as the field, there is going to be a football product. Now, what I'm interested in is the, uh, the Savannah States of the world, even some of like the ULMs of the what like like the Sun Belt teams, but but really more some of these FCS teams that are doing the the rent a win type stuff. Not only is this like a football balancing budget, but if if Alabama pays Chattanooga whatever one point two million dollars to come get their brains beat in, that is a budget balancer for the entire sports calendar. In, across all sports, maybe extending past even that year because you don't get one of these games every single year. And so, like, that's where I'm concerned the real risk is going to go in because I, I do think ultimately the SEC is at least able to say, listen, we're going to have a new, we're going to, the CBS deal is going to expire. We're about to get absolutely fucking paid. We're going to lose, we could potentially lose some gate receipts this year, but we have so much money in TV right now that, like, we can probably air a little bit more on the side of safety. Somebody like somebody like a ULM, I, I don't know if they can do that if the options are play this one football game or cancel like whoa. four women's sports. Whoa, whoa, Andrew, Andrew, are you saying that in a time of global catastrophe that the big boys and the largest brands will be fine, but the smaller institutions uh, are in the most trouble? That, that can't possibly be true. That's never happened. Definitely in in this economy? definitely not in America. There's no way that's ever happened. No, not in not in these U.S. of A. Yeah, I, I don't know though. I I, I mean, ob- obviously, I'm I'm speaking from like operating with uh, some sense of rationality and morality, not in the lens of uh, anything throughout the history of college football. So um, I know I'm kind of speaking in a little bit of circles here, uh, but but I. I really don't know. So, so Ruby, here's actually an interesting point from the most media qualified out of uh, the Confederacy of Dunces that we have here. What is going to be the the operate like like what is going to be the modus operandi for your average media person? I don't know. Are we because like the press box is like kind of its own little thing. Like we were talking about luxury seating and all that on one of our like uh, earlier and. Like, it like could they could they make it happen? Yes, because particularly at a place like Ole Miss, when they're not in national prominence, the the press box is not full, not even really close to full. That they can make it happen. Now, what is that like? Because at Ole Miss, you go up to the press box, you do the game, and then there's this gigantic, like basically team meeting room that we sit in, and we're all spread the hell out, and we're yeah. twenty feet away having a microphone passed around. To me, that's logistically possible. But what do you do with the visiting teams where the half the time when you're on the road covering a game, they cram you into a closet? Basically. Oh, I was going to say, when 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 I watched Chad Kelly hang 45 on Georgia in the first half, they threw us in some like equipment closet after the game, and Hugh, yeah. Hugh came in and gave some, some bullshit Bible quote, and then Kirby came in and cussed at us, and then we got out of there. Um, but the, something that you actually brought up and it it was, it was on kind of a test episode that we recorded. This is by far the most intriguing thing about this season that, that I can surmise. If you end up playing the season without fans, 
it is going to be how the luxury boxes function. Because for those that aren't familiar, most stadiums, and I know this is true at Georgia, and it is true at, or it is true for some of the suites at Georgia, um, and it is true for all of the suites at LSU, they are actually two separate structures. Tiger Stadium is its own structure, and then like the outside, like, concrete pillars and then overarching are technically separated by whatever infinitesimally small uh, amount of distance, but they actually do not connect. And therefore, I know it's on LSU's campus and it was some public money, but there's also private money that is involved in this and it is privately leased out suites. And so we have talked about the literal ivory tower situation where you could have people who do not care about anything on this earth more than 19-year-olds playing football uproarious over withholding donations if they cannot go into the luxury box to watch the game because technically I don't even know if the school has the legal bounds to keep them out from doing that. That and it's just the, like the people that give all the money really run the place, so they're not about to be told what to do. Right. Yeah, the police unions of and, Oxford. And obviously yeah, I mean it's like, like you can get worried in professional sports, right? Like the, the the old man booster runs the show up there. Like, who are we kidding in college? Right. So many schools have and it's funny because a lot of the a lot of the professional sports owners are a huge college boosters. So they run both. So many of these schools have, they operate under the veneer. I was like, oh, no, like our AD and our uh, university president and our head coach, like those are the ones who we really listen to. And if they allow um, these boosters and these, you know, major donors to watch from their literal, their literal ivory towers, towers in the stadium, uh, I think we might see a rising guillotine production nationwide um because <laughs> if, if the only people who if the only people who can watch a game in person are the fabulously rich uh that's i, I mean look, everything about college football is already a bad look but you're ramping that up to 11 if you allow that to happen to some degree there's no avoiding that either because if you're going to do a cutoff point it's got to be season tickets only right and include students because it's technically season tickets so like you're going to have some semblance of that anyway um i just don't know what that looks like exactly yeah the the i've heard literally every number under the sun i think i think i've heard 20% 40% 50% and like at a point, if you're over 50%, you're at full capacity. I mean, it makes no sense. The, the only time you wouldn't be at full capacity is literally teams that can't fill the stadium. And so I, I, I don't know because how do you regulate high fives? How do you regulate people going to the concession stand? How do you regulate bathrooms? Like, I don't think – we've all been to plenty of games in the, in the South in September – uh, I have sweat through more fucking shirts than I can count. And so I, I can't imagine people sweating, drunk, spitting all over each other, even if you are one seat apart is going to do anything to mitigate the, the spread of this. So we've all been in the um, we, we've all been to SEC games, as Andrew just said, and we know all too well that first bathroom trip when you've been outside tailgating and consuming whatever liquids you choose to consume that first bathroom line is already longer than all hell. And if you're adding six feet of social distancing to that, um, is there enough space for that? 
for a line of one hundred literally for a line of one hundred people to get into the bathroom that stretches like around the stadium. See, this is the most interesting thing is just like what what are going to be the veneers of safety that we have to put up? Because I think we've all determined like no one that is going to be inside of a football stadium this fall with at least 50,000 other people actually gives a shit about coronavirus because I don't think anyone can look at the numbers and say it's probably going to be a good idea for me and, and Bubba Gump to go high five over Jake Fromm throwing the ball more than 11 yards for the first time. And so I, I don't know how you like, like, I really do think that like all of this is one smoke screen of like how in five years or 10 years or 20 years, are we just going to be able to like justify to our own consciences that we did enough to try and mitigate this while quote unquote, keeping our economy open, which is a la college football in a lot of these towns. Oh yeah, no fans. You're te- if you have none at a place like Oxford, Auburn. I mean, we like. I'm trying to think. I mean, it's literally Baton Rouge, Lexington, Nashville, maybe Gainesville. Outside of that, all these other places are screwed in terms of economically. It's just crippling, like unrecognizably crippling. And even for the places that like those, like like there are still pockets of Baton Rouge that depend not like that still are heavily predicated on game day stuff. And so like the, the trickle down there, like is, is going to be significant, but again, like you have to, you, you, you can't introduce like tiger stadium becomes what, like the sixth biggest city in Louisiana at kickoff. Like you, you can't fucking do that. I mean, you can, and they yeah, will. But, like, technically you can, yeah. I just don't know. Yeah. Speaking yeah, of being able to do things and freedoms, uh, Mike Gundy tripped over. Freedom, baby. <laughs> Woo! Freedom. Uh, Mike Gundy. Uh, should I take this? <laughs> yeah, KP. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna clear it out. We're gonna run a little bit of ISO ball. You got it at the top. Okay. So uh, it, it honestly feels like three weeks ago, but earlier this week. Um, so that would be Monday, June fifteenth. Uh, Mike Gundy was spotted on a fishing trip with some friends sporting a T-shirt from One America News Network. Um, For those who don't know about OAN, it is a very, very um, far right-wing news network uh, known for spouting conspiracy theories, uh, not really an ounce of legitimacy, but really They're controversial section on their Wikipedia page is longer than the rest of the Wikipedia yeah. page. Yeah, exactly. Just imagine InfoWars, but it's wearing a suit. Uh, that's about the best way I can describe this. And Mike Gundy was spotted wearing a t-shirt from them. Uh, his star running back, Chuba Hubbard, um, voiced uh, some pretty strong disagreements on Twitter, uh, and it sparked almost a full-on coup in the Oklahoma State football program. Uh, since then, Mike Gundy has apologized for the shirt and what the shirt represents. Uh, I, that That's about all there is. Do um, you guys want to take it from here? He's not. <laughs> and why? So with regards to the shirt, I have a theory. Because when this happened, I texted you all in that group, and I was like, I, am I ignorant for only knowing what o, OAN is for like a month? Because I had never really heard of it. And I swear, I think the first time I maybe had heard of it 
was when he made the comments about getting money back into the state and the media and getting guys back on campus that he got in trouble the first time. I swear that might have been the first time I'd heard of it. So I don't know if I'm living with my head in the sand or what. But after that happened, I turned on OAN, like as I was texting all that, because I was home for the afternoon and I was just like, let's see what this is. And so I have a theory here that Gundy, I mean, hell, he's a football coach with a mullet. How much news on a daily basis is that man actually consuming? What are the odds because he's locked down in his house, not doing anything, trying to get the hell away from his wife and kids because he's sick of them, just flips on the news, watches one episode, and it's like, oh, this ain't biased, and then just runs with it with off-the-cuff comments. They send him a shirt. Because where the hell do you even get an OAN shirt? Is he really going to take the time to go to their store? Like, did they send him one for the free pub and that's how this happened? Like, I just don't believe Gundy watches the news in general, saw this one time and was like, hell yeah, I like this stuff. Because it did take me about a full show to figure out, okay, this place is a little off. If I had watched for 15 minutes, I could have been fooled. So I'll say this. The uh, the first thing, um, the happiest person about this is Jim McElwain because he no longer has the most insidious fishing trip um, in the offseason. <laughs> And two, I think that uh, it's interesting uh, uh, about the Gundy stuff because there have been stuff that's come out like as late as like 1989, I want to say. I saw that that uh, I, I, I want to say Gundy yelled as an assistant at uh, an opposing player or something, maybe called him the N-word or something like that. Um, I'm just going to say allegedly here. I don't know any laws or how we can get sued. Allegedly uh, did this, but I'm going to spout. And I think the biggest thing about it is it, it doesn't really matter whether he was fooled or not, because he doesn't, he seems to be incapable of grasping the fact that like, it is not about the shirt. The shirt was the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will, because Justice Hill, I mean, like current NFL players, multiple offensive linemen, like like you don't you don't have 35 people like jump in on that if they are not like simultaneously in their players group text be like, nah, fuck this. This is the last straw. And so like I, I think that's kind of the big thing of like Mike Gundy has been so unself-aware about this, which, uh, again, shocking that the man in Stillwater, Oklahoma with the mullet is not the bastion of, of self-awareness. But I, I I do think that, like, that has played into all of these players be like, dude, you still don't it, – it doesn't matter that you made the mistake about the shirt. We don't care if you burn the shirt right now. Like, there are clearly longer-standing issues that have been at play. This was just – Again, like the George Floyd protests, this stuff has been happening forever. That was just the straw that broke the camel's back because of how terribly brutal and how public right. it was. I feel like I'm sticking up for Gundy here, but I swear I'm not. But when I saw the second video, because the first one, the only one that apologized was Chuba Hubbard, which was kind of a strange move. But at the same time, it happened so quickly, like that video came out so quickly, you know it was rushed and half-assed and they didn't fully grasp the situation because, hell, I didn't fully grasp the full situation at that point. I was like, an apology's already out. I thought the second one as it pertained to the shirt was actually pretty adequate, and then he went on to say he was a dumbass for it. Obviously, things go beyond the shirt, but that seemed to be what everyone focused on as far as the news story, and that's what we kind of get lost in is the surface and don't actually get into the deeper part of it. I thought this, like the apology was actually somewhat contrite and adequate, but at the same time, 
like when you're a guy and you wear it and the only reason you're apologizing is because people have kind of pointed it out. Like, how can you expect a contri- contrite apology? Because if nobody had said anything, then you wouldn't have apologized in the first place. And that to me is kind of like the flaw with the whole mob cycle and apologizing and all that. It's like half the time people get pissed off that the apology is not contrite. Well, it's like, well, odds are he doesn't think he has anything to apologize for. He's just trying to get you off his back. It's kind of the flaw in that whole cycle. The shirt is just a symptom. Yeah, that- if anything, um, you know, it like, you know, both of you guys have said, uh, Mike Gundy knows that uh, he stands to lose a lot if uh, this continues, specifically in recruiting, uh, because I guess before this, you could get away with being problematic in a lot of ways as a college head coach. But in this current era, um, with players being more powerful than they've ever been, a guy like Chuba Hubbard can say, I'm not going to you know, affiliate at all with OSU unless something changes. Uh, that matters now. And uh, it's good to see players realizing how much power they have. And it's good to see coaches realizing they can't just do whatever they want without consequences. Well, that opens up a larger discussion about that happening across sports in general. It's been happening in pro sports, but it's trickling down to college where these guys realize how valuable they are. But if you want a pro sports example, look at baseball. Like I, I don't get a ton of things right, but when I was working radio, one of the things I said the whole time with this thing is I think this storyline that the players are going to take the blame if the season falls through is overrated because people are more pro-player than they've ever been. And look at it now, six weeks later, everyone thinks the owners are assholes, and that wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. Yeah, and you do end up with that you do end up with that vocal minority where you are going to have the bootlickers that are going to be apologizing and saying the millionaires uh, shouldn't be crying even though it's the billionaires that are taking their money. Um, but but I do want to circle back around to what you said about the the Gundy thing because I do find that like I, I do find it very interesting because I think this parallels a little bit with some of the stuff that, that Drew Brees said. And I mean, again, KP and I are, are big Saints fans, and I think we've been pretty vocal that, uh, I mean, we've called him internally bootstraps Brees for a little while. And so this was, this was not all that shocking, but I, I'm interested to see the level of apology for a lot of these things, because while personally for me, I still don't think Brees has done enough, like, it, it appears that some people on the team have forgiven him. He's donated $5 million. I think he should have donated just his entire year's salary. I mean, what the fuck does a guy with $500 million need another $20 million for? I mean, maybe losing it in a fake gambling or art scheme again, or, or fake diamonds or art scheme like he Or advocate or pyramid um, scheme like but like. But. <laughs> Or advocate, yeah, really, really. I mean, the, the list goes. No one, no one ever said that he wasn't anything other than just smart in football. Um, but it, it is, it is interesting though because Mike Gundy probably isn't sorry. Mike Gundy is a sixty-year-old man who's lived in the South and believes what he believed on Tuesday is probably what he believes on Thursday. And so when you when you usher him out here, like I, I obviously understand the PR side of things, but like. I do I do see where you're coming from and like a very real perspective of like, no, Mike Gundy's not fucking sorry for this. If he was sorry for it, he wouldn't have done it in the first place. And if he was sorry for it, he he would have done it immediately without without being forced to do it and dragged out. I mean, it looked like he had a fucking gun to his back in that in that first solo. I, I guess he's done three videos now. He did the video with Chuba. He did a solo video in his office where it looked like the AD had a gun in his back. And then he did some other kind of like the the interview where he said he was a dumbass. And so I, you, you end up in a situation where like 
it, it, it's very like, I'm sorry, I got caught here. And so those are the things that I think are interesting that are going to play themselves out in the future. Like it's not going to affect anything right now because Chuba Hubbard's going to end up stepping back on the field. He's going to play because it looks like at least on the surface, things, things were, were, made over but like for guys like him and guys like Dabo I don't know if you can keep thumping like this either the the religious angle of like the we're all equal and we're all sinners under God's eyes even though like you are 300% more likely to get killed by the police than my kid is and so like I I do think that like the the chickens may be coming home to roost for for some of these guys that have operated successfully in college football but it's clear that like you no longer know how to talk to a 19-year-old black kid because they are having a mutiny on your campus. And some there's some level of ignorance here, right? Because like for maybe I'm wrong, but I just have a hard time believing that one, Mike Gundy is some sort of new savant, and two, you can watch a lot or any sort of healthy portion of the OAN network and say they just report the news. There's no opinion. Because that was his original comments, was it not? So yeah, they were. It wasn't left. It wasn't right. Yeah, exactly. But is there any way, no matter how far right or left leaning you are, you could watch that network and say it's just the news? So, like, that, and I think he doesn't watch a ton of this shit and just like basically just went off on kind of an ignorant tangent. Yeah, I like this news network. I'll wear their shirt. To me, there's no way he's a regular watcher of that or any news because there's no way you could say that with a straight face. No, knowing how it's crazy though is like. The- so I go on through. The more fringe that you typically become on like the new, like the further right or further left you end up leaning on the political spectrum, the larger sort of cult following slash person, like no one who is watching fucking center mainstream politics is going to go and bust out a CNN shirt who is probably just about like, I, I know everyone on the right says they are unbelievably, unbelievably center, but I mean, it's a fucking network that wants to maintain the status quo. Like they are as center as you can, as center can be. And so like, no one would have given a shit if he was wearing a CNN shirt and MS. I, I don't think people would have given a shit if he was wearing a Fox news shirt, but like you end up in a situation where like, those are so far on the fringes in terms of like the cult personalities that like it's co- like like no one is a casual fan of the alt right. It's not like it, it's not a thing you can be a casual fan of. You're either it's a binary fucking thing. A Fox News shirt creates a Twitter shitstorm without a statement. I think. Exactly. Exactly. That's a, and what it probably does, it, it, it adds fuel to a fire that then gets addressed sometime in the future, maybe with a different player. But going back to the, the Chuba part of things, something I find just extremely interesting about the way that like, like situationally he is in this position because he may be the single most advantageous person to be in this position other than maybe like a Trevor Lawrence, because He is a sophomore running back who has rushed for 2,100 yards last year, has plenty of tape out there, and actually probably becomes more valuable to NFL teams if he doesn't go out and take a year's worth of hits this year. And so, like, he is uniquely qualified as the best player on this team to operate with leverage here because – If he sits out, like I do understand that, like you were saying earlier, college kids really want to play and you have this like sense of team and sense of bond and and you want to go out there and fight with your brothers. But like if his teammates are recognizing that like Mike Gundy is not meeting our team demands, Chuba Hubbard is in like 
probably a strategically smart position to sit out. I mean, we were we, we remember when people were talking about should Jadavian Clowney or Leonard Fournette play their junior years, it would be like if those coaches came out like before their junior seasons and were like, oh, I'm kind of don't respect you as human beings. <laughs> Go on, Rep. And an buy-in is just ironic. Like the weird part about this is they're kind of supposed to have their best team since that eleven team that almost made the BCS. Like they're loaded. <laughs> And their defense isn't supposed to stop, I know. I think, uh, yeah, le- leverage matters, um, especially now more than it probably ever has um, because college athletes have more of it than they ever have had, or at least they're finally realizing it now. Uh, so good for Chuba and all the Oklahoma State players who basically just figuratively and maybe literally, uh, you know, cornered Gundy <laughs> in a room and uh, forced him to own up to his actions. Uh, so... And so, the, so, the, I, I, so people were upset with him apologizing. I feel like the last thing we haven't covered is the first video to where people were upset with him apologizing because he said he went about it the wrong way. And while I don't necessarily think that warrants an apology, and I'm certainly not going to critique, critique the guy for speaking out on Twitter, if you're actually having a, trying to have like a nuanced conversation, Twitter's the worst place to do it. So, like, is this as big of a story? And the, he's not wrong for doing it. I don't want to say it that way. But just in what world, like, where does this story go if instead of a tweet, he talks to Gundy about it and then, like, makes a post afterward? So I think that this happened because a conversation – I think some conversation with Gundy has happened and been blown aside in the past. And so I think that's probably why, like, I think, again, we're talking about leverage here. You own the leverage and you own, the, like, the 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 high ground if you come out in front of your whatever 50,000 Twitter followers and get it retweeted by every single college football writer in the country, as opposed to that's in a closed-door meeting. Mike Gundy then is on the high ground, and he's able to filter that message through 17 PR people there. And so... I definitely, in terms of like actually having a conversation, I do think it would have been best to go to Gundy. But I think the reason it was gone to, was on Twitter was because people probably have gone to Gundy and he hasn't been receptive to that conversation. So putting it public is yeah. putting his feet yeah. to the fire. Built up and he finally goes on blast, basically. Yeah. If, exactly. If you, if you exactly. can own the narrative uh, and take control of public opinion first, uh, then you know, that's about half the battle there. And Chuba Hubbard realized that and he took full advantage. Uh, so, so you know what's actually very awesome that I did not realize was going to put us at this segue point. Um, so for those people that aren't familiar, the, the way that the three of us have kind of gotten connected, KP and I, um, we've been friends forever. We went to high school together, but but we met Rippy um, kind of indirectly through through sort of friends of friends, um, and it was when we we all kind of started Armchair Media together back in like 2015. Um, I'm sort of, we we've kind of all gone our separate ways. I'm I'm still doing it. I'm I'm doing it full time as of June 1st. KP is up in New York and he's been working in um, the at the Manhattan Sports Business Academy. And then Rippy has been doing um, actually the most real like journalism work of us um, working working uh, over in Oxford with with Super Talk, um, but. 
it's been interesting because we've we've stayed in touch over the last five years kind of with how how's armchair going like how how's it developing because I mean running a trying to run a small sort of media company podcast network whatever the fuck you want to call it um, it definitely has ups and downs and ebbs and flows and you are put in front of some interesting people and so we kind of wanted to every episode, maybe every other episode, just depending on when we remember some stuff, weave in some uh, armchair stories about some 21-year-olds trying to start up a media company and how oh so wrong it can potentially go. And the reason this segue is particularly interesting is because um, in... 2000 and I want to say the summer of 2015, maybe the summer, maybe it, actually, I think it was the summer of 2016. I got an email from one Craig James's agent. Um, and so for those of y'all that aren't familiar with Craig James, and if you're listening to a college football podcast and aren't familiar with Craig James, I, I'm a little bit surprised, but he was an SMU running back that played during the, the pony excess days. Um, he, uh, let's just say there is a hashtag and I'm going to let you punch this in, but go on to google.com and type in hashtag. That is the former pound sign C J K five H. And let me know what you come up with there. Um, and you will see as to why this might have been, uh, a little bit of a, precursor as to why we did not want this this man involved with our company okay so anyways oh andrew andrew you you forgot um so that's alleged there is something else that actually happened in real life uh didn't mike leach uh lock craig james's son (laughs) in basically um the chokey from matilda (laughs) for five hours yes there we go there was also, some of you may be familiar, and Rippy, I want you to jump in here, the story that when Mike Leach was the coach at Texas Tech and Craig's son played there, his son had a concussion and uh, Leach did not like that he how he was handling the concussion, shocking Mike Leach, and so he locked him in a closet. And because Craig James worked at ESPN at the time, it became this big to-do. But Rippy, I'm going to let you jump in and what we may have learned about it. So from everything I've read, and it's been a couple of years, obviously, since like I remotely closely followed this thing, but the locking him in the equipment thing was more of like a dark room treatment. And I believe towards the end of it, it came out that James, who shockingly might, might not be the straightest shooter, was pissed off about his son's playing time and basically used that to kind of slander, smear, oust Mike Leach. And while I'm sure the truth is somewhere in the middle, I don't think that James's intentions were pure there. But uh, as far as recollection of hiring him, I remember you sending a group, a, a screenshot of the email on a group me, and basically the first 50 messages being like, wait, that Craig James? And doing a small amount of research on him, it appeared that you know he had had a long fall from grace since doing color for ESPN. And basically from everything we gathered in research, he was just – the biggest asshole possible to work with, and no one could stand him. And so, as a result, he had his agent emailing sports blogs at that point in his career. Yeah, so we we ended up at a situation where his his uh, yeah, I think it was agent or manager or what, whatever you want to title somebody that's going to take five percent from him. Some Craig James deserves that five percent taken from him. But anyways, emailed us essentially saying, "Can Craig host his new podcast with you?" 
Um, he did not give me any details on the podcast. I did not really know a ton about the backstory of Craig James outside of, again, I thought he was like a fucking Reese Davis type. I was like, he's a guy with slick back hair that wears a suit and he talks on ESPN sometimes. He had that weird thing with with Mike Gundy. Like, I did not know about the, again, aforementioned five-letter uh, hashtag that you need to pl- punch into Google yourself. Um, but But there is a situation where apparently – he was fired from ESPN because he started hijacking his radio spots on other people's shows to plug his potential run at the Republican seat in Texas's uh, U.S. No, no, no. It was the Texas U.S. representative seat. And so he's on there apparently just like starting to spout like right wing conspiracy theory stuff. And I sort of start to come out like I email the guy back and forth because, again, I was like, he wants to host a sports podcast with us. That's interesting. It comes out this guy literally wants to start like his own Infowars type show on our The Armchair All-Americans sports blog that has been around for a year that has literally never made a single dollar. I mean, it's a match made in heaven, it seems like. the, uh, But like... It, to all of that being said, if you're talking about like just like who Craig James is, if you could get in a beef with Mike Leach and Mike Leach comes out looking like the saner human being, then like you probably got something going on there. Yeah, it's one of those common denominator type exercises where it's like you seem to be in the wrong in all of the quote unquote controversial situations. I'm going to put two and two together and assume that you are fucking unbearable to work it, with. It does not appear that Craig James is on social media, which is quite possibly the smartest career move he's ever made. Long Never gonna get in a career like that. Craig James. Wait, what rep? Long story short, we big dick Craig James. We told yeah, him that. Yeah, yeah. We, we talked college football legend oh, no before we had made a single dollar. Yeah, yeah, that people with absolutely no name recognition, with absolutely no money, uh, turned down the only person with any shred of credibility because even he was not good enough for our shitty sports. Like the third best time. player, fucking true, like, like like the third best player in SMU history. Like, like, do, do you know? <laughs> Yeah, like I don't, I don't want to go back, like trying to reframe myself in 2015. But like the amount, the people that we would have allowed to have podcasts with us would fucking make my current self want to shoot me in the head. But like, even he still at that moment was was not up to snuff. Which I mean, just kud- I mean, kudos to him. If it, it, to underscore what you just said, as we make this a regular segment that we're going to call the early days of armchair. If you're going to see some of the other characters who have been employed here in the past, and we told Craig James no and didn't tell them no. Yeah, the and if you were somehow a an armchair writer with a fall from grace, I don't know how good we are going to be at in post editing out these names. So I'm sorry. <laughs> don't really care. No one's gonna listen to the <laughs> show. Whatever. Um, but yeah, that 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 is our our little sidebar on on how um, the one of one of the most successful players in uh, one of the most successful programs in the 1980s was not good enough to work unpaid at a. Do you know what our fucking website was at that time? 
thearmchairallamericans.wordpress.com. He was not good enough to work for that website. We, I literally did not know what Squarespace was. Like I, that, that was a foreign word to me. Squarespace, Wix. Yeah, I don't know. If it, <laughs> don't don't know if it existed. On All the right, uh, on the flip side of that, uh, so that was our first ever segment of uh, early days of armchair. I don't know how we'll top that in terms of personality, but we probably have some stranger stories. On the flip side of the Gundy thing, can we talk about the glowing halo over Jeremy Pruitt's balding head at the moment? Uh, yeah, no, I don't want I will. As Alabama's next head coach, sure. uh, I will. So um, as of today, uh, Thursday, June 18th, Jeremy Pruitt has announced that uh, Tennessee plans on wearing uh, black jerseys against Kentucky this year. Uh, and will later auction off said jerseys um, and give the proceeds to uh, different Black Lives Matter organizations, uh, which is possibly their strongest stance uh, an SEC head coach has ever taken in terms of racial justice, which I, I know that bar is not terribly high, but for a guy that you know was born and raised in central Alabama um, and a guy that currently coaches in East Tennessee, this was this yeah, year, uh, or yeah, last it was year. as Jeremy Pruitt reached adulthood without ever learning what asparagus was, which is it's a special kind of scenario. But uh, Tennessee, between that, between uh, being the only school to vote against the June first report back date in the Southeastern Conference, um, having apparently low COVID numbers. Uh, Tennessee looks to be leading their resistance from the SEC, which is a sentence I never thought I'd say. Voluntary, and and on top of that, it also came out today that he's got what he said. He's got T. Martin, who's an assistant. He's the host. Is he the OC for them, or is he just a QB analyst or whatever? Um, but he's got them helping have the whole team pretty much registered to vote, or I guess anyone who wants to. And I just find it interesting that the guy that really kind of looked like disconnected from everything, particularly when things went bad early with this program has actually come out looking with one of the more, if not the most articulate out of the sec coaches. Cause he showed up at their, everyone Ole Miss called it a unity walk. I don't know what Tennessee called it. Their rally, whatever it was. I don't want to like call it the incorrect thing. And seemed like he showed up and was like very personable without hijacking it and making it about him. And just, I am surprised he's come out looking the way he has, but I it kind of in a weird way have a new respect for him. So something that, and again, I, I really, really do not like giving this man credit. Something that I always found, and again, I, I was I was one of the perpetuators of sort of this this uh, this notion because I had, I mean, I, I was pretty good friends with a couple of guys that played for him at Georgia, and they liked him on the football field, but like, I mean, he was like the most quintessential, like boiled down nothing but a football coach like his brain didn't operate it's not like he had ha- harbored ill will he literally did not harbor anything other than schematics and so like something that was always interesting to me though was like between his time at Florida State Georgia Bama and now Tennessee like he has always been a plus recruiter and so like you can't really have that much sustained recruiting success 
especially in the South. Like if you are just like a meal mouth, like tripping over your own words and stuff, unless you somehow have established a program that has sort of the infrastructure to do all of this. And I don't want to call that what Dabo is doing, but like, I think Dabo is very much like put the system in place and let the system work because the system is so strong that I can't even fuck it up now. And so like, I do think you end up with looking at Pruitt saying like, maybe this has been him all along, but this has been the only opportunity where he's actually had to run a program. But then again, I've also heard stories of him in Georgia practices where he and Mark Richt have almost fist fought. And so like, like introducing him back as some like voice of reason is so wild to me, but like, it looks like he is. Isn't it the point of overall, like, and this ties into Breeze, to Gundy, to Pruitt, whomever, whether it's actually real or not, I guess you can decide for yourself or we may never actually know, but whether it's Gundy apologizing or Breeze apologizing and then actually seeming to like be fairly contrite about it and actually addressing the president like, hey, this is not what I thought it was. Isn't how the whole point of this is particularly powerful people with influence that don't get it, making them get it or at least try to? Like there's some element of this that comes out positive as awful as a lot of this has been. But like I look at those three guys and whether it's real or not, they're at least put in a position to where if they don't get it now, they won't ever. But at least they appear to be trying to, whether it's a facade or not, I don't know. But that, that seems to be a positive out of it. I'd agree with, I'd agree with that. The, the, old, the old Black Lives Matter sink or swim. Like you either, it, yeah, it, if you don't get it now, you're irreparably, irreparably drowned. But like may, maybe we can toss you in and like you find a life raft. Right. Out there. And I, I'm not trying to give any undue credit uh, to any of these people, but a guy like a guy like Jeremy Pruitt, as we said, I mean, he was born and raised in Alabama, played at Fort Payne High School for his dad, coached at uh, Hoover High School, Alabama, Florida State, every across the southeast. Um it makes sense that he gets it because he's been around, you know, Southern black people pretty much his entire life. Uh, but a guy like Mike Gundy, who's from Oklahoma, who played at Oklahoma State, and who spent the lion's share of his coaching career at Oklahoma State, he's probably never had to think critically or examine his own actions at any point in his life. You know, he played quarterback for the school he ended up coaching at. He's been the big man on campus for 30 plus years. Um Exactly. If he at any point examines his own thoughts and his own behaviors and his own biases, and if he improves upon any of those, I'm not saying it'll be a rousing success, but it's a positive step, which, you know, before the last few months, few weeks, a few days, you know, he probably wasn't ever going to take. I agree. And that's one of the parts of it that gets lost on like Twitter and social media is because everyone wants to like label someone that quickly or wants to see change happen immediately to where you're not going to actually know anything about Gundy until you kind of see it come out over time. And so like, like this is going to take longer to play out than I think is palatable on social media at times. Yeah. And what I ultimately think you're going to end up with a situation is I think you're going to, I think a lot of these people are going to quote unquote get it because they they are going to then 
understand that there are real world financial implications with this. So like, I think Gundy is going like, I don't know if he is actually going to have a change of heart, but I think he's going to have a change of mind in saying, I don't think I can keep getting paid $6 million a year or whatever, if I continue to publicly um, express these beliefs or whatever. So like, from at least a public facing perspective, like it might not be genuine, but like, again, that that's where you're really never going to be. Exactly. Able to F- five steps is better than one step. Um, but also one step is better than going backwards. And it's a lot of like, I look at it a lot like the, the Bono and YouTube performative philanthropy stuff where it's like, you have this one side of where it's like, I really would just appreciate if you gave money, not with anything attached to it, like, and you gave it because it was good. Like you're not doing it for either a tax write-off or to make your dick hard or to like, be able to say that you're a good person. But then on the other side, it's like, you gave the fucking money. So it's like, (laughs) I would rather you give the money and tell everyone you're a good person for giving the money than to not. And so like with Gundy, it's one of those where it's like, I don't know if your heart has actually changed, but like if you end up in a situation where you no longer make your players feel uncomfortable or that they, that you may not have their back, then like, I don't want to say what is the difference, but like, I, I, I don't know. Like it's, it is better than nothing. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't know how many of our listeners list, watched the boondocks, uh, you know, growing up, but it's like the character Ed Wansler. Um, He's this huge philanthropist and it's all performative, um, but he basically built the town and it's like, oh, he's a terrible person, but he also built this community center that his name is on. And it sucks that his name is on it. He's a bad person, but is his name T. No. <laughs> it it sucks that he's a bad person and his name is on everything, but he still built the community center, and it's and and that helps kids in the neighborhood. So obviously, there's shades of gray in all of this. But as I said, if we can keep taking positive steps, then we're going in the right direction. What KP is saying is Mike Gundy is a regular old Pablo Escobar. <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I, I think that the, uh, I would like to at least think that there is going to be enough of this continued in the summer to where Gundy can't just like duck out behind this. And this becomes a singular issue because from everything, like when, when Chuba apologized, he like immediately went to Twitter after that and saying like, not like, like, no, 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 y'all like his feet are still to the fire, like change is coming. And so like, I think he recognized that like, even though his messaging was quote unquote apologetic there, it was very much like, I'm doing this to pacify the school. Like we, we really are going to plan on holding them accountable. And again, the only thing he has to do to hold him accountable is say, coach, I'm not playing this Saturday. Yep. That's, that's about it. Um, so, uh, Rip, Andrew, you guys got anything else? Yeah, I want to talk about one more one more black white issue. And so, one more black white issue, it is a it is two sides of the coin as is uh, all black white issues in America. The white issue being the new Duke's Mayo Bowl and uh the black issue being um is Beethoven black. Um and so I am going to let either I'm going to let either of y'all again take point on this and uh we'll go uh, from there. Let's go with the more fun one. I think uh, Alvin Kamara may have been a uh, Hitting the reefer. Well, uh, I mean, yeah. I hope so. Yeah, exactly. 
that's where that's still good. He's been injured. Right? Wait, what? It, that's where that stemmed from, the Beethoven thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, that thought doesn't just pop into your head while you're at the grocery store yeah. or something, right? Like, so, uh, 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 according, he was, he was according the to the Concordian.org, uh, I'll summarize this. Um, many depictions you see of Beethoven, you know, is him as a white man. Um, but the following were physical descriptions uh, by credible sources, including people who knew him, historians, anthropologists, etc., uh, wide, thick-lipped mouth, short, thick nose, proudly arched forehead. His face reveals no trace of the German. He was so dark that people dubbed him the Spaniel, which meant dark-skinned apparently back then. Cool black, coal black hair, which stood up around his head. Uh, a flat, broad nose, rather wide mouth, uh, dark complexion, uh, and also thick black and bristly hair. So from all of that, it sounds like Beethoven was just like a guy from Chicago. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't think this, I don't think this man was German at all. We did a bad job of setting this up, and I might not have even set this up correctly. Did Alvin Kamara spark this conversation, or was this already happening and he just chimed in? Because that was the first place I saw it, and I just assumed that was the origin of this uh mystery debate whatever the hell you want to call it did he start this or is this already happening and he just chimed in like wait this is happening i think this has been discussed like in in history terms for a while but i think he introduced it into why it may have shown up on your timeline today okay <laughs> because i'm not sure I, I don't know much about the concordian i don't know if it is a secure google ssl locked website um, but um, I'm going to assume that they probably didn't just whip that up on June 18th. So Wiki has him as German, and now the debate is whether he was actually German or not. I mean, yeah, dude, the amount I'm, – I'm looking at him on Google right now. The, I mean, they they didn't know dog shit back then. These people are so stupid. I mean – Okay, that was my next question. The, the guy died in 1826. He was not rolling around with the Vikings or something. This was not that <laughs> long ago. Like, how do we not – Yeah, no. I, I And, like, the most – like, we know all this fucking music. How do you not know if he was black or white? <laughs> yeah, I, Ludwig von Beethoven. But I, I don't know. Oh, man. Uh- but all right, into into the 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 white issue. Um, the I mean, bowl season has just is the gift that keeps on giving because every time we think, I mean, whether it's the Poulain Weed Eater Bowl, the uh, Gasparilla, uh, what's the one down in Tampa? Something something Gasparilla Bad Bowl, Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. Um, yeah, the uh, there was there was one the the something Boca Raton Bowl. Um, but the, the gift that Brady's right, the cherub, yeah, the, the, cherub, uh, the cherubundi, uh, tart cherry. Oh, no, no, it, it was the cherry tart cherry Boca Raton bowl. That's exactly what it was. Um, and so we have, we have now gotten into, unfortunately the Belk bowl and their Twitter account rest in peace have, have, uh, bitten the dust along with a lot of their other corporate box store overlords soon to be bought out and turned into, uh, I don't know, Amazon uh, enslavement facilities. I'm, I'm not really sure. 
But they have rebranded the bowl game in Charlotte between the ACC and the SEC is now dubbed the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Um, I don't know if Vanderbilt and Georgia Tech are contractually obligated to play in it every year, but my God, I am excited. First thought here, Jeremy Sprinkle probably wishes this had happened when he played in in this bowl because then he would have not had the opportunity to shoplift from Belk while on a shopping spree with a gift card at the Belk Bowl. The Arkansas tight end, does anyone remember this? (laughs) Yes. No. Tell the story. Jeremy when Arkansas was in the Wait, I, do, I, do, I do remember because someone was clowning him like what the fuck are you gonna steal from Belk he had a gift card from Belk that the players got and stole extra stuff at the Belk Bowl from Belk like you gotta be like Nicholas Cage type shit to get away with that there's he was a dead man walker <laughs> what um what I do think is very interesting and this was brought up in a separate group chat is that you know people are calling uh the renaming of the bowl game into the Duke's Mayo Bowl, a win for white people everywhere. Uh, But that's only half true. It's a win for Northern white people. Uh, The fact that Belk was taken off is a big L for Southern white people, um, you know, across the entire South. Uh, Belk, you know, modern Southern style is a big part of a lot of people's lives. And that was viciously taken away from them this year. Uh, so the North beats the South once again. I'm not sure that's ever happened anywhere, um, but that's that's sort of how I see it. Where am I going to get my bootcut jeans, <laughs> KP? My bootcut jeans. As a uh, as a golf shirt connoisseur, and by that I mean it's literally the only thing I own because I contend it's the most versatile thing on the planet. You want to wear it to work? Tuck it in with some pants. You want to wear it to hang around? It's pretty comfortable. You want to wear it to play golf? Whatever. Belk and Steinmark. Always had good go-to used golf shirts for uh, when I was in college. So I don't know if I'm a Belk stan. I haven't been there in quite a while. I mostly do online stuff now. But uh, they had something for your boy back in the day. Secondly, God can only hope that we get Duke versus Vandy in this game the first year. So the jokes on the internet are just completely unoriginal but great at the same time. So what I do want to know is what is the Duke's Mayo Bowl care package if the Belk Bowl care package is a shopping spree to Belk? Yeah, because a lot of people don't even like mayo. Mayo's fucking gross. It's just, uh, first of all, mayo mayo is fine. Mayo's fine in moderation on sandwiches. My thing with mayo is it, what what you are what you are confusing as mayo is just could be replaced with any other non ketchup condiment and it would be better. You just don't want a dry sandwich. You don't actually like mayo. That's my. You just want you just want sandwich lube. Potentially, I mean, you're not completely wrong with that, but I don't think mayonnaise tastes bad on my sandwich if there's like lettuce, tomatoes, and a decent lunch meat on there. I think that's fine. I will say it's like a thing that, mustard. The thing that, that the internet is right about is mayo for grilled cheese instead of butter. I didn't want to be right about I didn't want them to be right about that, but they are. You go mayo on the outside instead of butter, slap the thing down, then go your cheese on, and it's good to go. I actually one time my girlfriend hates mayo, absolutely despised it, won't even like look at it. So in turn, the first time I found out about that, I took one of those gigantic wooden spoons when I was drunk and ate an entire spoonful of it. Um, which probably should get kicked me get me kicked off this podcast. I didn't enjoy it. I don't even know if I was trying to make a point. I was just being a jackass, but uh, 
I'm surprised that didn't ruin Mayo for me. Oh, I think it it, it re-ruined yeah, I might Mayo. Be, I might be out from, um, uh, from that point. So I think that's a great point um, for us to end episode one on. I was going to say, we're going to be chill the whole podcast. This is the only episode we'll ever have, and uh, y'all won't thanks, be tortured anymore. <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone, to episode one of Banjo College Football. Uh, we'll see you soon. Peace.